Good morning, everybody. A lot of kids in here today. It's so fun. Oh, they're so cute and awesome. All right, open up your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. The astute observer will note that we were there last week. We're back there this week. Trey, where'd he go? Oh, well, Trey's doing awesome, everybody. I'm so proud of him. He's worked so hard. Really excited for the youth this week. It's going to be awesome. So good. And our worship team, thank you for that song that you wrote, that last one. If you're wondering if you've never heard it before, it's because our team wrote it, and they're doing great. Oh, so encouraging. So... Heather and Emily and Chris mainly putting so much work in that. So fun. Okay, open up to Ephesians 4 and make sure you have something you can take notes with this morning. Got a lot to cover, which I feel like I say that every week because, as we say, anything we're doing is worth overdoing. So if we're going to be here, let's do it. This morning is Vision Sunday. We've been saying uh, that this week has been coming up. Really excited to share some things with you this morning uh, for who we are as a church, what we're doing, and some different things going on around here. And as we get started, I just I want to say this about Vision or Vision Sunday. Too often, a leader uh, casting vision can sort of serve to mean that basically what happened was somebody worked really hard to come up with a big, ambitious idea. And then now it's time for that person to stand up in front of everybody and try to sell it and call everybody to it. But that's not the way vision is supposed to work in the Christian life. Vision in the Christian life doesn't come from our imagination. Whether it's me as the pastor of this church or whether it's you or in your own family or with your own life. Vision in the Christian life does not come from brainstorming and ideating and dreaming and wordsmithing, all the big things you can do for yourself or that you can do for God, and then you try to rally people around that thing that you came up with, and it's your vision. Vision in the Christian life is actually kind of the opposite of that. Vision in the Christian life is about crucifying the ambitions of your flesh so that your will can be resurrected to a new life in submission to the will of God. Vision is about crucifying your ambition in the flesh so that you can be resurrected in submission to the will of God. And then we get to unify around his will for his body and alongside those of us he has called us to serve with. So last week, uh, we talked about unity of the Holy Spirit, and we read Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. Would you stand with me as we read these verses briefly this morning? Ephesians 4, 1 through 6 says this, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. As you walk in this manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, do it with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. You can be seated. Praise the Lord for his word. Now, my goal this morning is to unify us around what God has shared with us about what our calling is as a local church. So that we can walk in it in the way that Ephesians 4 describes walking in the call of God. What I'm going to do in our time, and for those of you clock watchers, I already told the band, I got too much to talk about. We're probably not going to do the ministry time song. So just as you're looking at your watch, you can know that. And as you're wondering, when is he going to end so we can sing our song? (laughs) It is what it is. So what I'm going to do uh, in our time is I'm going to recap some things that you've probably heard before, especially if you've been around here for a little bit. Then I want to narrow in on a few specific practical questions surrounding where are we right now as a church and how are we handling a couple different things that I know many of you are noticing. Now, we don't need this Vision Sunday because the vision is crazy, and I would like to unveil a brand new big idea for something. 
we need Vision Sunday because God has assignments for us. God has assignments for us individually and collectively. And consistent focus over time on those assignments requires reminding and clarifying for all of us. Have you ever noticed how quickly you forget things? Have you ever noticed how quickly you forget kind of the main things? Distraction, distraction is kind of a devil. And uh, it's loud. It's like the Tasmanian devil. It just creates tornadoes and it's like, wow, oh man. And then all of a sudden here we are, right? And it's true for all of us. The hard part about vision is not having a big idea. You've heard lots of big ideas. You know, we, we, it's not hard to have big ideas for something. We need Vision Sunday uh, because the hard part about vision is staying focused over time. That's what's hard about vision. As the saying goes, maybe you've heard this before, vision leaks. Vision leaks. It's like you get your bucket full of vision, but then once you pick it up and you start walking around your life with it, it starts sloshing around everywhere. And before long, there's not quite as much vision in your bucket as there was a second ago. Now, a lot of you have heard the things that I'm going to share this morning already, and there's also quite a few of you who are newer around here in the last handful of months, um, which is great, and maybe you haven't heard much of this before, but regardless of which camp you fall in this morning, you are here this morning. You are here this morning with us, and we are here to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we have been called. I'm going to pray for us. Lord, we thank you so much for this morning and this opportunity to be together. We thank you for your presence. Thank you for each person in this room. Thank you for your church. We thank you for those gathered in your name all around the world today. We thank you that you're present with us and you're present with all of our brothers and sisters everywhere and anywhere that they are. We thank you, Holy Spirit, for your unity. We pray that you would bind us together in your church. We pray that you would bind us together in this church. We pray that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear your word and your kingdom this morning. Pray that you would help uh, me yield my tongue to your word this morning, that we would hear your word. And I pray, oh God, that your word would be, like you said in Mark 4, the seed of the kingdom, that you would sow generously into us this morning and that our hearts would be good soil that we would produce for you a harvest of righteousness and peace and the fruit of the kingdom in our lives. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I may have shared this before. Jordan said he thought I had told this from the stage before, but I don't know. So if I did, here we are again. But a little while back, I was talking with somebody about, I don't even remember what, but they were talking to me about how their grandfather served in World War II in the South Pacific, digging airstrips so that the Air Force could land and do their thing, which was super important in that theater in the war. Him and his unit were charged with going ahead of the airplanes. They didn't need to know how to fly airplanes. They needed to know how to use shovels, right? And then the Air Force guys, they didn't need to know much about shovels, but they needed to know a lot about planes. And that it was what helped sustain the war effort. And in hearing the story... I remember thinking about how ridiculous it would have been for the army guys who dug the airstrips to criticize the Air Force guys for not knowing how to dig as good as they did, or vice versa, for the Air Force guys to criticize the army guys for not being able to fly planes very well. Imagine how silly it would be for the army guys to chide the Air Force guys for all you know how to do is fly planes. Why can't you dig like us? Or conversely, how silly would it be for the Air Force guys to think less of the Army guys? Who needs you guys? You just dig with shovels. We fly airplanes. Now, of course, some of that still happens when you get in the military in real life. They joke with each other, but you get the point. The last thing that the Army guys needed to know how to do was fly a plane. Even though the whole point was to let the planes fly in. And the last thing that the Air Force guys needed to know how to do was to dig airstrips. Even though they were a little bit necessary in order to fly their planes. The mission was accomplished by both parties being good at and staying focused on the element of the war effort that the general had assigned to them. They didn't need to be good at what the other guy was good at, and they didn't need the other guy to be good at what they were good at. They both needed to submit to the direction of the general and completely focus on the task at hand. 
their unit was very important, but the military was bigger than their unit. Everyone had a role in winning the war, but not everyone had the same role in winning the war. Jesus is building his church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And as Antioch Indy, we are not the church. We are here to participate in the church. We are here to be who God has called us to be in his body, to play the part that he has called us to play in his kingdom. And then along the way, when we are focused on that, we get to celebrate the other parts of the body and the other participants in the, participants in the kingdom that are doing their thing under his direction as well. Who are we as Antioch Indy? We exist to preach the gospel of the kingdom. This is, this is what our assignment is. Preach the gospel of the kingdom. We are assigned to proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God with our lives. Not just me on the stage with a microphone, but what we do is proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God with our lives. And we are here to do it with a heart, a servant's heart, to make others great. We exist to preach the gospel, gospel of the kingdom and to make others great. And we pursue that vision by living out our five values. Our first of our five values is personal devotion. What we mean by that is each person's own relationship with Jesus. Our second value is making disciples. Each one of us helping others know and follow Jesus. Life group, which is following Jesus by living life with a small group of people. Our corporate gatherings, which is each one of us participating in the local body of Christ and life on mission, participating with God and his purposes on the earth. As we pursue that vision by living those values, we aim to be a people for whom honor is our sound. This is the culture that we want to have as a people. As we pursue this vision and live these values, honor is our sound. We want our touch to bring joy. When we interact with people in situations, we ought to add joy, the joy of the Lord, to situations. We smell like faith. We taste like grace, and we always see hope. And as a church, our target audience is Jesus. If you ever plant a church someday, you'll have a lot of people ask you who the target audience of your church is. The target audience of the church is Jesus. Jesus is our target audience. He is the first one that we are here to reach. He is the first one that we are here to be with. If we are a bunch of people doing a thing, but Jesus isn't here, there's no sense in any of us being here on Sunday mornings. Let's go do other stuff. We do not first exist to reach people. We first exist to reach Jesus, to honor Jesus, to bless Jesus, to love Jesus, to exalt Jesus, to celebrate Jesus, to preach Jesus, to gather around Jesus, to look at Jesus, to listen to Jesus, be shaped by Jesus. Because we know, we know, we know this is true in ourselves, and all you have to do is look around at history or just the world we live in right now, and it's very clear that it is very possible to be all about people and not be about Jesus. But you can't genuinely be all about Jesus and not be about people. As a church, our demographic is that we are a passionate people who want more of God. Again, another kind of question you get as a pastor is, what's the makeup? What's the demographic of your church? And people want to know kind of like what's, like young families, young, you know, all these sorts of things. And you know, that's great. But what God has called us to be as a demographic is not young or old or rich or poor, or this or that, but we are a passionate people who want more of God. Now, we're not doing it perfectly. We could all... And any of us could always be a little more passionate, a little more hungry. Of course, we want to do that. But this is who we are. And, and I don't say this in the sense that this is our aim to be. It's more of an observation than it is a vision. 
Because this is just kind of who you are. Isn't that how you experience the people around you at church? Just like this is, this is kind of a passionate group of people who are hungry for more of God. It's more an observation than a vision. It's just who, who we are. So I've just shared a lot with you. I've shared our, our vision, why we exist, our values, how we live pursuing that vision. We've talked about our culture, what the experience of us as a people ought to be as we live those values, experiencing the vision. I've told you about our primary target audience. I've told you about who we are as a people. And all of this means that as a church, we are for anybody. But the reality is we're not for everybody. And nothing and nowhere and no one is really for everybody except for Jesus. If you don't want to live for that vision, live out those values, participate in that culture, put Jesus first and be a passionate person who, won't, who wants more of God, you are 100% welcome at this church. You're just probably not gonna like it here very long. And the reality is, that's totally okay. You don't have to. Nobody has to. None of this that I've shared makes us, Antioch Indy or me, Pastor Andrew, good or right. None of this makes anyone else bad or wrong. And praise the Lord for that. What a relief. I'm glad none of us have to bear that weight. We are the chosen ones who finally found the secret sauce for all things good and right in church and following God. All of you who here come to Antioch Indy that you might be saved. We're just weak, limited humans who are thankful to be adopted into the family of God. And we're trying to submit to God as the head of the church, as the head of this church, and just become more and more responsive and focused on his instruction for us as, as this group of people in how we are to participate in his kingdom, to build up his church and to bring him glory. That's what everything I just shared is all about. When we started the church very early on, the Lord shared this instruction with me. He said, I want you to take 10 years to plant the church. It was kind of an interesting thing that I've sort of just thought a lot about over the years. We're going to be hitting seven years here in a few months, which that's exciting. What that means is it's just a, it's an instruction for our mindset that is kind of like no matter how big or small things are, no matter how fast or slow anybody thinks anything's going, just plant the church. God's called us to plant something here, and he wants us to focus and have this mindset, not just me as the leader, but for us as a church. Like, we're still planting this thing. We're still taking this one step at a time, saying, Lord, what, what, what are you calling us to? How do we do this? What's the next phase? We're not the general contractor. We're just the subcontractors. We don't, we don't need to know the blueprints, and we don't even need to know how all the steps fit together. We just have to be good at doing what we're told, because he's got the plan. He knows what he's doing, and it's all for him and for his name anyways. We hit, when we hit five years as a church, there was different events that happened, but the word of the Lord came really clearly to us in many ways. The foundations have been laid. The foundations have been laid. And as we looked back over the first five years at that time, we were able to celebrate that by God's grace, and only by God's grace, when I look back, what I see the most blatantly is all of my wrong thoughts, <laughs> everything I was ever wrong about. By God's grace, he had helped us to be faithful in those first five years to lay the foundations of everything that I've already just shared with you, to put everything I just shared with you into the foundation of who we are as a people. We laid the foundation of vision and values and culture and mission that I just explained and recapped. And at that point in our church, when we hit five years, that was really encouraging to hear the word of the Lord. It's like, thank you. I, I think we tried to do that. So the fact that it happened, praise the Lord. <laughs> and so as a leadership team, as pastors and elders and staff, we spent really the next 12 months between hitting years five and six, seeking the Lord about what the next phase of building this church was to look like. And out of that, 
time of seeking the Lord together, we clearly heard him speak to us something that you've been hearing a lot over these last six months, build the home. Does that sound familiar to anybody? Okay, if it didn't, that would be a big problem for me. Build the home. Build the home. God is clearly calling us in this next phase of building and planting what God has called us to do here, build the home. And yes, that does mean build the the house of God, the family of God as the church. But the Lord doesn't want us to miss that primarily what God is speaking to us about is when he says build the home, he's talking about you and your family and your home. Not just here, you know, in this, this house of God, but you and your house, you and your life. Because the reality is that health starts in the home. Sanity starts in the home. Society gets built out of the home. Discipleship starts in the home. And the world is devaluing the home. And as a church, we will not overlook the home. If we want to disciple nations, we have to build our homes. Now, there's a lot to all of that. So if you want more all of that, more on all of that, you can go back and listen to a couple of messages. One was on November 6th, last fall. If you haven't listened to that and you call this church home, I'd really encourage you to listen to it. And then we started the year January 1st through, I believe it was February 19th, with a whole series under Build the Home that unpacks that um, in the beginning. So I'd encourage you to go back and listen to that anytime. So that's a lot of recap. A lot of recap of where we've been, who God has called us to be, things God has spoken over the years. If you've heard some of that before, I hope that you join me in not forgetting it this morning. Because really everything that we've shared so far, seasons change and times change, but, but those are foundational words that God has sown into us as a people that he's called us to be. Those are the things that when the seasons change, those things don't change for us. The target audience ain't gonna change. And if it does, it's not because we made the right decision. It's because we made the wrong one. And let's all help each other out and get straightened out on that. If that's new to you, you know, and you're newer around here, I really hope that that helps you understand what you are stepping into. And not just to uh, kind of ride the wave of, but to contribute to as a member of this church. What does it mean to be a part of Antioch Indy? It means to receive all that and participate in all of that in this local body of Christ. In the rest of our time this morning, I want to zero in a little bit to refresh our call to build the home and discuss what that specifically looks like in three key areas that I know many, have, many of you have been thinking about and talking about and asking about in the last few months. And I know that because you've talked to me about these things or our pastors and staff, or I've been told that in life groups, this conversation is happening and we've been thinking about this or we're asking about these things. They're great questions that are necessary to talk about and they're, they're out there. And so I'm, I'm excited for us to talk about them together and become unified in where we land on this stuff. Those three specific areas that I want to spend a little bit of time on this morning, recognizing and giving a little bit of direction to is first... How do single people fit in to build the home? Second, are we going to two services? And third, what's the plan with all these kids? Hopefully you're laughing means yes, you've asked at least one of those questions in the last couple of months. So we're just going to go through it. First thing, single people. Where, where do we fit into all of this? If, if, if that's you, if you hear that phrase and you're like, that's me, get out your phone. You're going to use it in just a second. Get out your phone. So I know that back in November when we first started talking about build the home and then in the beginning of the year as we spent a lot of time developing this word build the home, there has been questions from single people in the church about where do we fit in to that? How does all of that apply to us? And I know that we've been able to talk about that in different ways at different times, but fair enough, the questions still remain in different ways. And I just want you to hear that, you know, I know that as you are looking to grow as men and women of God 
And as you desire to get married and have families, that you have more questions about all of this. And that's a good thing. Questions like, what does it mean to be ready or get ready as a man or a woman for a godly relationship? What should dating look like? Because there's a lot of opinions out there. What does God say about this? How much, when I'm evaluating a relationship, how much does physical attraction matter? What does it mean to be attractive, physically or otherwise? How do I be that attractive person? How do we do dating and relationships in community without it getting super weird? So those are some of the questions that I know have been swirling around or that I've been asked. And I'm really just want to say first, I'm really proud of you (laughs) for those of you who are asking these questions for the conversations that I know that you're already having with uh, friends, with life group, with uh, seeking out pastors and elders in the church, reaching out to godly men and women, and not just like sitting in a corner thinking about these for yourself and making your own decision. That's a great step for any of us and all of us in the way we live our lives. Let's bring some other people in on this. And for those of you who are doing that, I want to say, way to go. Way to go. And I want you to also know that we are working on some resources and some events that are going to be coming your way over the next six months to help further these discussions and talk about these things with you and for you and address that. So three things I want you to know if you are in the single person category this morning. Number one, be on the lookout for the stuff I just mentioned in the coming months. And participate in those and give feedback on those. The second, this is where your phone comes in. Go ahead and uh, you can, we're going to put this, I think you can reach this QR code. I think you can. If not, we'll put it up after the service too. This is just going to take you to a really simple form that's basically like, I know I listed off some questions that I know I'm hearing, but what other questions are there? What, what do you really want to talk about? What do you really want to ask about? Because I have no interest in trying to come up with this on my own and hoping that it hits. Like, let's do this together, you know? I want, I want to be helpful and as accurate as possible. The third thing that you can do is just keep initiating with other godly people in your life as you navigate these things. There's not some silver bullet that you're waiting on me to give you in four months. You know, like, let's continue to walk under the word of God, with the Holy Spirit, with the people of God, and that's going to go a long way for all of us. Okay, secondly, over the course of this year, the amount of people coming on Sunday mornings has been growing, and there have been a few specific weeks that have felt especially full. And as Antioch Kids rooms have filled up, as seats in here have filled up, and as parking spaces have been a little bit harder to find on certain weeks, I and other staff members have been asked by many of you, when are we going to two services? Or more so with a little bit of dread in your eye, like, are we going to two services? (laughs) So the answer to are we going to two services is I don't know if or when that is happening, but it's not happening right now. Everybody sighed a sigh of relief, apparently. (laughs) So there's the answer, but I want to take you into the thought process. I want to take you into the thought process. So the first thing to evaluate in the question, really any of these questions for church, but we'll zero in on this one. The first thing to evaluate in the question of are we going to go to two services is, does going to two services help us pursue our vision by living our values? The second question or the second thing to evaluate in that question is, do we have to because of limited capacity? To the first question, at this point, there is nothing about going to two services that can help us better pursue our mission or live our values. To the second question, we not only have plenty of capacity for us to be together in one service, we actually have a lot of space for growth. There is a little bit of a a rule of thumb when it comes to kind of rooms like this that you gather in, that a room starts to feel full at about 70% capacity. That number might change, but about 70% capacity, that's when people start thinking, oh, it's pretty full in here. Right now, we average about 220 people in this room on a Sunday morning, and we have about 315 chairs down. For those math gurus in the room, that's about 70%. So on an average Sunday, we're at about 70% capacity in here, which means two things are true at the same time on an average Sunday. On an average Sunday, this room feels full. 
And on an average Sunday, there's like 95 empty seats in here. Additionally, the actual technical full capacity of this room is closer to like 350, which means that there's technically space for about 130, if you really wanted to get crazy, 130 more people in here, which is like 45% bigger than our average. That's a lot. So, <laughs> amen. So there's not only plenty of room in here for all of us, but like for over 100 more of us. So there's no need to go to two services. What that tells us is we don't have to go to two services because of a lack of capacity in the sanctuary. But what else does that mean? That we're going to stay in one service. It does mean that as we continue to grow, you will continue to need to you know, be here early or you'll increasingly not be able to sit wherever you want with however many seats you want between you and other people. So just be aware of that. Be aware of that, that as, as it feels full or begins to feel more full, that as you arrive and other people arrive, let's just work together to use the space that we have and steward what God has given us. And as we continue to grow, that's just how it's going to be until it literally doesn't work anymore or God says something else. So that's what we're doing because now we can make disciples better by being together and full in one service than being separate and spacious in two services. Another question that comes up about this is parking. Like, I, I think I mentioned that. We've, we've been asked about parking. So as the parking lot fills up, uh, maybe in the coming weeks or months or years, who knows, a couple of things for you to be aware of. This is going to be really quick. Number one, we've been asking our volunteers to park behind the building before everybody else gets here and come in the back door. That creates like 20 to 40 spaces in the main lot, which is awesome. So that's helpful. Which means, number two, if you come here on a Sunday and the main lot is full and you're not a volunteer, maybe check behind the building. There might be some spots back there. Also, uh, on the border, our little neighbors kind of right, I think they're right there. Where, I don't know where I am, but they're like right there. They just closed and nobody's using that parking lot. So there's plenty of spaces right there. And I know some of you are like, wait, what? <laughs> don't act like you went. They're closed. Oh my gosh, that's so sad. Not that sad, apparently. <laughs> so there's parking spots over there. But if you go park it on the border, don't park in the spots that are closest to our building because that's like an evacuation zone for kind of a worst case scenario for our folks. So don't be that guy who's in the way on the wrong day. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> it's a joke, guys. Okay, the, the last thing I want to say on parking is uh, we're kind of right next to the Castleton Mall. And there's like six trillion spots over there. And some of them, honestly, if you come in this back door, they're closer to that door than a lot of the spots in the main lot. So there's plenty of parking. If you ever come in the main lot and you're like, where's parking? It's everywhere. You just, now you know. Okay, the last thing to talk about of the big things that we need to address this morning, third thing to think about concerning staying at one service or going to two services is our A-Kids, Antioch Kids capacity. So this plays into what, what's the plan, Pastor Andrew, with all these crazy kids around here. So now again, we need to start with the vision and make decisions first based on what's God calling us to. That's where we start. So about 18% of the average U.S. church is under the age of 10. About 25% of the average Antioch church in the United States is under the age of 10. And about 31% of our church is under the age of 10. So almost double the national average. So if it feels a little different around here, that's why. Also, 63% of Christians come to faith between the ages of 4 and 14. So I may not be the most strategic leader there is, but I can see we have children around here. And I may not be the most prophetic guy out there, but I'm pretty confident God's calling us to disciple children. So you may or may not feel this, and don't laugh at me when I say this, but we actually have quite a bit of square footage available to continue to facilitate not just Antioch Kids the way it's going right now, but to grow. We've got an amazing staff, let alone all of you who serve. We just have an amazing team who is constantly evaluating how we're using our rooms, 
what's the makeup of all of the different age groups and what rooms would work better for all of those different age groups and how do we best steward all of this space that God has given us. And right now, we have all of the spaces we're currently using, which is a lot. We've got a lot of rooms and spaces that we're making work around this building, which is such a blessing. We've got future options for how we might be able to maximize our current office space for Antioch kids. So if that comes, you know, just pray for the staff. They'll find a place to work somewhere. Uh, we'll, 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 we'll make adjustments. But also, wouldn't you know, we are finally able to push go on renovating the next space in the shopping center that we've been talking about for like a year and a half. So praise the Lord. That's going to be kind of up and going here in the next couple of months. So praise God, we actually have a lot of square footage to facilitate the kids God's given us and more children as they come and as we continue to grow. The main limitation in Antioch kids that we have, and let's be honest, we will always have, is that since we have such a high ratio of kids to adults, our biggest limitation is the amount of disciple makers we have. When we have to turn away kids right now, it's generally not because we don't have the square footage, it's because we don't have the people. And if we were gonna go to two services right now, it would just make that way worse. Because instead of basically needing everybody to serve once a month, we would literally need everyone to serve twice a month. And we ain't doing that right now. We're not trying to force that. So please listen to what I'm about to say. Our problem is not that we have a bunch of selfish adults who don't want to serve in Antioch kids. That is not the problem. You are amazing, and there's over like 120 of you who serve on the monthly Antioch kids rotation, which is a lot for us. And that's amazing. So overall, you know, this is not like some attitude problem or anything like that. It's just a math problem. That's all it is. It's a math problem, and it's a math problem that isn't going away. We just need tons of adults because we have tons of kids. It's just how the math works. And we all need to know that. But actually, beyond knowing that, what God's really calling us to do with this build the home word is to embrace that. We need to embrace that, that math problem for us. And because we're trying to obey the Lord, you know, love it or hate it, the elders, the pastors, and the staff, we're not praying that God brings less kids to our church. Our constant and consistent prayer is that every adult who can will be a disciple maker in Antioch kids. The bottom line on all of that practically is that we currently need and we consistently will need for the foreseeable future as long as kids keep coming, which there's like, I don't know, how, there's like 17 more coming just by babies this year or something. I don't know. It's just, <laughs> praise God. So we need about 75% of eligible adults to serve in Antioch kids. So three out of four adults who are able to serve in Antioch kids need to be signed up to consistently make a kids happen every week. If it sounds like a lot, it's because it is. And that's great. As of now, we have about 120 adults in the Antioch kids rotation to serve one time a month. But because of the amount of kids we have and our desire to spread the load among most of us, instead of focusing that load on a few of us, we need about 12 more people to jump into that rotation for us to be at full strength. That will put us at full strength on the disciple maker side of things each week and allow us to facilitate our current Antioch kids ministry. So as it stands right now, we obviously still don't have those 12 people. So we are 12 people short of full strength. So what does that mean for A-Kids? The first cost of not being at full strength is going to be consistency. What I mean by that is that as a disciple maker, for those of you who do serve, you should not necessarily be super surprised if at times you're getting moved around on a Sunday morning to fill a gap in another room. Parents, you should not necessarily be surprised if your children get moved to another room on a given Sunday or if on a given Sunday there's not room for one of your kids. And your kids shouldn't be super surprised if their class and the way it works isn't exactly the same every single week. Every week, our team will be making adjustments to kind of fill the gaps that emerge, and we'll be able to make it work really well. 
And, you know, as far as a plan B goes, that's not necessarily ideal, but it's still pretty good. That's pretty awesome. The plan isn't that it's like, well, now we have to turn kids away every week. It's just, okay, that's going to cost us some consistency. So our team has great plans in place for navigating the many different situations that might arise on Sunday mornings. And as long as all of us can know that as of now, with a great church and lots of people who serve and also lots of kids, that's just our normal right now. As long as we can just understand that, I think then now we can be great with it and we can all be flexible and patient and gracious and grateful all the way around. That sound good to everybody? That being said, there are 12 of you who aren't serving in A-Kids right now who could. Now, if you uh, drop your kids off in A-Kids every week, but you're not serving in Antioch Kids, I want to encourage you to reconsider that. If you are a part of this church and you call this church home and you're not serving in Antioch Kids, I really want to encourage you to consider jumping in. And if you want to be one of those people, there'll be a sign up in the lobby on your way out in the Connect area this morning. To wrap up our time, I want to take these last few minutes to address some specific questions that I have been asked or that our staff has been asked, particularly as it pertains to all these kids and the constant work and effort it takes to keep A-Kids running. And, and I just want to say out loud, like I know we talk about serving in A-Kids a lot. I, I hope you can hear the why behind that. It's not, I don't think, and nobody on our staff thinks that it's like, why won't people just get over themselves and serve? That, that's, not, that's not the issue. It, we know it's a math problem. Now you know it's a math problem. It's just, this is one of our things that's going to be our hard as we try to be faithful to what God's called us to. That makes sense? So that, that's the heart. We're all good. We all love each other. We're all good here. So there's a couple of questions that have been asked um, that I think, I hope this will be helpful to just hear, let you hear the thought process out loud and also understand that we, we do understand a lot of the questions that are being asked. One question that I've been asked or we've been asked as an effort to help address all of this is why don't we bring the kids into the service so that we don't need so many adults to serve? That's a fair question and that might be the right answer for some people in some places, but it's not the right solution for us. The first reason for that is there's not room in here. So it's a problem either way. Second of all, bringing all of the kids in here at this point would hinder our ability to disciple you as adults in the 90 minutes that we have together. Third of all, this call for us, for us adults to disciple kids on Sunday mornings, it's a gift to all of us. It's not a hindrance. Jesus commands us to make disciples. Many Christians, including maybe you, don't think that they can or don't know how, don't think they know how to make disciples. But if you serve in A-Kids, you will be set up every week by our team to partner with Jesus in making disciples. This is going to help you fulfill the Great Commission. It grows you and matures you in your faith. It connects you to other kids and adults in the church. It reminds you that church isn't all about you. And if we all work together... Everybody only has to serve once a month instead of all of us putting the weight on a few people to serve more than that. Another question, could we do something like pay for babysitters or something so fewer adults, uh, so not as many adults have to miss church? Fair question. We could, but we won't. We exist to make disciples and paying babysitters would not be a faithful use of church money. It would not encourage adults growing as disciples who make disciples, and it would not facilitate discipleship of our children that God's blessed us with. After those two might come something like, surely there is something. <laughs> surely there is something we can do so adults don't have to miss church so much because of having to serve in Antioch Kids. Serving in Antioch Kids is not missing church. It's missing service. Church is not primarily about attending the adult service. Church is primarily about reaching Jesus. And he told us to make disciples. So when you serve in kids, you do miss the service. And that definitely matters. But it's not missing church. It's participating in church. And serving kids 
is a bit of a sacrifice. And, you know, honestly, for some people, it's more of a sacrifice than it is for others. That is true, and that's valid. And if you serve in kids and you're not in the elementary where you get to come in during worship, you might miss corporate worship together, which is definitely a bummer. That's, that's true, and that's valid. But the rest of the picture is, you know, sermons are usually up online within like a couple hours of church being over. And at the end of the day, you're, you're, not on, you're only not in service one out of the four Sundays a month. You've still got time with God every day, life group every week, other church events, your daily walk with God, and being in service the other three times a month. Missing one service is not nothing, that's for sure, but it's also not too much, especially for the sake of discipling kids. And this is why, again, we are encouraging as many people as possible to serve so that we can do it one time a month instead of having to ask fewer people to serve two times a month. The last thing on this is just because this uh, gets asked to me, and I just want to say <laughs> that this could come out spicy because pe- I just that's what happens when I say something, apparently. It comes out strong, but I don't mean it that way at all. So there's the caveat. If you miss service, for example, four or six times in an eight to 10 week period, and that's because you served two or three times, depending on how the calendar worked, and then you or your kids were sick a week or two, and then maybe you had a trip or a sports game or you know, something came up on a Sunday morning. The problem is not that you served too much, and that's why you miss church. That's just life. That means life happened. And that's okay, but it just kind of is what it is. It's not like a reason that we should revamp A-Kids. Okay, there's that. I feel like it, see, it, it comes out like, all right. Yeah, too, I know, just rude. Oh, man, I, well, we are, we are going to fly through this. Okay, this is, this is important. Hey, we do this like once a year, so I'm going to do my best here. Isn't there something we can do? Another question, we talked about the adults, but isn't there something we can do so that we don't have to dedicate so much time from our staff and therefore kind of payroll to making this happen every week? Yes and no. There are some things we can do, and no, there aren't things we can do. Here's what I mean by yes. There are some things we can do to reduce the load on staff. If everyone who is able to sign up to serve did sign up to serve, consistently showed up, and found their own substitutes when needed, which most of you do these things, there would be hours of staff work erased every week that are currently dedicated to filling holes, trying to get chased down unanswered text messages, making adjustments, all of those things. So on this, maybe this needs to be slightly spicy, but not as spicy as it's going to come out. One thing that does need to be said, and this is not for everybody, but it's good for all of us to hear. Steph and Anna are primarily tasked with coordinating and training everyone who serves in Antioch Kids. And most of you are amazing at honoring them and their leadership, responding to their communications, following them. Well done. Thank you so much. They're amazing and they're killing it. And Mindy does a lot of that too. You just great job. Also, they are kind of consistently sharing with me that there are people, they don't give me names, but there are people who never respond to their text messages and emails when they're getting asked to serve, or they don't communicate about changes that need to be made, which, hey, changes need to be made. That's okay. So if you're being asked to serve, basically, if Anna or Steph reach out to you, please don't ignore them. You can absolutely say no to them. That's okay. But please don't ignore them. That's just kind of rude. And then they have to go to Sam or Jordan and ask Sam or Jordan to reach out to you. And then Sam or Jordan have to come to me and ask me to reach out to you. And that's not fun for you or me or them. And all of us prefer fun over not fun. <laughs> so again, I don't have a list of names or anything. They all honor you by not telling on you. But let's just do this together. Can we do that? Yeah. Okay. So yes, we can do that to make the load a little easier. By no, I mean we can't do something about lightening the load for staff because this is not an off-mission burden. We are here to make disciples. So it's good and right for our staff to focus on this. They love it, and they're good at it. Two more short ones. What if I just don't feel called to kids? Which is the church way of saying, what if I don't like kids? If that's you, that's fine. I'm not asking you to be called to kids. 
I'm just telling you and casting the vision for you that if you are part of this church, this is part of our mission. So whether you like kids or not, you will be consistently asked to participate in this. Not because you're called to kids, but because we are called to make disciples and we happen to have a lot of kids. So our team will set you up for success. I promise you that no matter how unqualified you think you are. And I promise you, you will grow in your faith and you will do a great job. Last one. That's all great. I, what if I still don't want to? I just don't want to. Good news. You don't have to. You don't. You don't have to. But we will keep asking you. <laughs> and you can keep saying no. You're allowed to say no as much as you want. That's fine. You actually are allowed to say, never ask me this again. And we won't ask you again. And I promise no one will be mad at you and no one will judge you. All I'm saying in all of this is I'm asking that if this is your church, deeply consider jumping in to help carry this. What are we going to do with all these kids? We're going to gratefully receive them as blessings from God. We're going to make room for them in our building. And we're going to partner with parents to make disciples of children at church and at home. That's what we're going to do. None of this is about Antioch being right and anybody else being wrong. None of this is about me, Pastor Andrew on the microphone, telling you what to do to be a good Christian or in order to get to heaven. I'm just trying to be clear and communicate with you about what God's calling us to. And I'm letting you know you are invited to participate in it. My heart and my prayer in all of this is that we would all walk in a manner worthy of this calling to which we've been called. I'm praying that we would all do it with humility and gentleness and patience and that we would bear with one another in love as we do this together. And I'm praying that in the eagerness to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace, we would honor and participate in the call on this house and bless the calling of every other house and all of our brothers and sisters as God so composes his body. That's what we're here to do. Lord, we thank you for this call. We thank you for your word and for your kingdom. We thank you for adopting us to be part of this team. We pray that you would help us be humble, gentle, patient, bear with one another in love. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would keep us in unity in you in the bond of peace. Fill us, Holy Spirit, with all that you've given us as a church and individually. Send us all out in the power of the gospel everywhere that we go this week. Fill us. Send us, center us on you. We love you. Thank you so much for this opportunity to be here this morning. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Amen. amen.